Very nice, very nice. Makes the post editing a little easier, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool with this little background thing that's going on right now. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Cave Podcast, everybody. It's your boy, Jerezy. We got my boy, Kyle, over here, and we have a special guest today. We got Jeff Chan from MMA Shredded, the OG YouTuber fighter. Get that get that straight. It wasn't Jake Paul, man. It was this guy. <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> and we have him in the cave. He joins us on the Cave Podcast. Yeah. Jeff Chan from MMA Shredded. What's up, man? How you doing? Good man, thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate it. I love podcasts; they're always fun. Hell yeah! You know what? Like I like I mentioned, I've been following you since 2014. I attribute you into my basic foundation of knowledge of fighting before <laughs> actually going into the gym. You know, mm-hmm. and actually exactly. expanding on that. So first of all, thank you. And man, what got you started in this martial arts journey? Was it always um, something that you've been a part of? Uh, so I started training when I was 15 and um, I didn't have any like special reason for, for training or starting. I just had a, a good friend of mine at the time who brought me into the gym, started Muay Thai and kind of never stopped from there and just treated it like a sport. And, uh, you know, when you stay in something for a very long time, you eventually uh, – compete and so on that's pretty much what what happened hmm so did it start off with muay thai it wasn't like a karate class you took as a kid i started with taekwondo when i was like 10 years old and i got to like yellow belt so it's not not a very long time uh so it's unfair to say that i started with muay thai but i actually but i would say i started with muay thai when i was 15. taekwondo was like a very short period of my life okay so and then muay thai um when did you know that, hey, I have something over here, you know? Um, what do you mean by have something over here? Well, obviously, there was passion in that. So mm-hmm. that's the first um, light that would uh, cause the, the wick to start burning. But but the the passion or, or the, the feeling that, hey, I could go pro with this. I can compete with the best. I have what it takes to, you know, be right there with the, with the best of them. So the truth is I never actually wanted to fight or be a professional fighter. I started training for fun and usually the next step to competing is your coach will recommend that you fight and they'll be like, Hey, you should fight. And at the time, uh, my coach at the time, Jeff crew, Jeff Harrison actually was the one who was uh, calling me junior Masato. Who's like a K one legend. And uh, he was saying like, you should definitely fight. And then, you know, I took one fight and then next thing you know, I'm got 10 fights. Next thing I got like 20 amateur fights and it was just amateur Muay Thai. And then uh, one day he was just like, you should fight in MMA professionally. And at this time I didn't even have any jujitsu under my belt. He just said, you should go fight in MMA because these MMA guys can't strike. And so I, I was, I think I was 19 at the time. And um, I thought like, hey, well, I'm already, you know, fighting and, and, and trying this sport out. Why not get paid to do it? And when you're 19 and someone offers you to be a professional fighter, you're like, hey, why not? Mm-hmm. So I took that one fight as a pro fighter, uh, as an MMA. Um, and and won, I won by uh, TKO. So it was a pure striking fight. And um, yeah, that's, that's how it started. 
That's awesome. Did you um, even care to supplement your ground and grappling game then, or were you? Did you kind of fall in love with the striking at first? I didn't touch jujitsu until I made that transition into MMA. So I went into my first pro MMA fight as a white belt in jujitsu, which was not smart, but I pulled mm-hmm. it off for the first fight. And then the second fight, I went up against an actual wrestler and jujitsu guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the first round went well with the striking, but he eventually took me down and choked me up. <laughs> I see. And then I never fought again until I got my purple belt. What, okay. what was that, that learning curve like to have to, you know, try to acquire that jujitsu skill set? in such a short period of time to try to, you know, compete with, with the guys that had that in their, in their arsenal. I guess I didn't really, I mean, for the first fight, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I was just told that my striking will destroy these guys in MMA. Um, yeah, we've seen it. I'm taking And and like anti-jiu-jitsu and, Again, the, for the first fight, it did it did go well, and then the second fight, obviously, uh, he was a lot more skilled in the grappling department. So, I learned that I would need to up my jiu-jitsu game if I were to continue competing in MMA. Do you did you find that same passion you did for Muay Thai with jiu-jitsu, or was it something kind of like man, like cardio? You know, you just the, the main reason why f- fighters run when they don't like doing cardio is to avoid being tired in a fight. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what your why of going to jujitsu or did you find some kind of passion into it like you did with Muay Thai? Um, to be honest, initially when I made the transition into jujitsu or into MMA, I kind of like, I did that, that fight. Then I went back to Muay Thai and I would train a bit of jujitsu. Then I'd take another Muay Thai fight and train another, train some more jujitsu. And it took me a long time until I actually started to really, really like jujitsu. So at the beginning, it was kind of like, I'm doing it only because I want to get to MMA. Now I actually I really love jujitsu almost as much as I do in striking, uh, but yes, at the beginning I didn't have that strong passion for jujitsu. I, I always thought like, oh, I'm just doing it because I need it for MMA. Right. I see. And 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 when it comes to martial arts or any sport or anything in in general, the the better you get at it, the more you like it. <laughs> People. It's like one. It. It's one of those things where you start kind of getting it as you're, as you're yeah. on the on the path, right? Exactly. Cool, cool. Uh, man, when I first took my, my first jiu-jitsu class, I was, I was uh, mainly training boxing, and I would run all the time. That was one of my, my factors of running. I didn't want to be tired, so I felt like my cardio was in tip-top shape for boxing. Mm-hmm. Up until I went to jiu-jitsu, man, like the, the <laughs> cardio that you need for, for jiu-jitsu is a whole different animal. <laughs> I, would, I would just say it's a different kind of cardio because if you're if you're a jiu-jitsu guy and then you start doing Muay Thai, you're gonna you're gonna feel the exact same thing. True. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. if if, you, if you're in shape for uh, Muay Thai and jiu-jitsu, and then you go swimming and you start swimming, you're gonna think swimming is so hard. <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. And um, for me, just judging off what I've seen online, you seem to have. Not just the athletic and the physical coordination to perform these moves, and I mean like your your head movement to counters are seamless, but you also have the mind and the awareness to know what's going on during the fight. And I don't know, it seems like you almost are aware because I heard about this with a lot of video editors. They kind of know and see the video 
in the editing phase as they're filming it, you know? Do you kind of have that cerebral outlook when fighting as well? Or are you just kind of in the moment? You don't even think about that. I would say, um, I mean, I have a lot to say on this topic. Um, mm-hmm. with the first one being I've learned a lot through watching my own sparring. And a lot of things I do is kind of natural. So I would say that like when I started training martial arts, I was one of those kids that were naturally good at it. So I picked up things fast and there's a lot of techniques that I wasn't actually taught it. It just came out as I did hard sparring. Cause when you're hard sparring, you don't think as much and you kind of just rely on reaction. Mm-hmm. And then I would learn from my own videos, you know, when I started filming, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then honestly, if you watch a lot of fights, watch a lot of YouTube, watch a lot of, um, you know, your, your favorite athletes, I'm a visual learner, so I can learn a lot from just watching a fight. So if I watch a UFC fight, for example, I watch Dominic Cruz and I see what he does. I can, I have the ability because I'm a visual learner to just watch it, practice it where some people need to be told exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a visual learner, when it comes to martial arts, it's, it's uh, definitely better than, than the other ways of learning. I see. I agree with that. And um, so were you primarily filming for your record keeping and to review your, your movements and, and, you know, maybe weaknesses that you don't really see. And then it kind of shifted into man, I'll just upload it for people or how, how did that come um, about? So actually I, um, I didn't start my YouTube channel until 2015, 2016, I believe. Um, and I started training in 2007. So it's been, I, I gained quite a bit of experience even before starting my YouTube channel mm. and how that started was I attended, um, Sean Fagan in Thailand and okay. uh, I was inspired by what he did which he at that time he was already making a living off training teaching just doing Muay Thai that's that's all he did like as a YouTuber mm-hmm. and um, YouTube was the last thing I thought I'd ever do um, but he was telling me like oh like you could you could uh, you could you could do what I did or you could do what I do if you just made content and I guess he kind of like inspired me and gave me the idea, but I didn't really believe that I could make a living off martial arts. So I started the channel thinking maybe, maybe one day, uh, you know, I could do what you're doing, but for the most part, I'm going to be starting this channel as a way to vlog my martial arts journey. So if I learn something new, I can film it, put it up, not really care whether people watch it or not. Mm-hmm. Because back in the day, you would see these guys bring notebooks to jujitsu and you'd, you'd write notes, right? A little notebook. And then like three weeks later, you'd read it to, you know, <laughs> to review <laughs> it. You'd, you'd be like, what on earth? <laughs> so once I started filming the things that I've learned, it was a game changer. Like I don't need to read my writing and trying to figure out what I was thinking at the time and why I wrote this word instead of this word. And filming is a lot easier obviously it's funny you mentioned that because yeah i think my two of my first content creators that i that i um noticed were sean fagan and sylvie sylvie douglas e2 right Mm -hmm. yeah and uh man she's amazing she started from like nothing she had like some random trainer here in in the u.s and then yeah i remember those videos (laughs) she, she devoted her whole life she went to thailand uprooted everything and then like 
now she has like a hundred plus fights and it's, it's yeah, crazy, it's, man. It is pretty crazy. <laughs> it's also cool too to um like to document the beginning because if you're gonna be on that path for a while, it, it's cool to see where you came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the progress. Right. Do you, do you wish you? I mean, it's an obvious question. You probably wish you filmed everything, huh? Like even from the beginning. Or? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, it's actually very normal to film sparring, and I'm not saying I'm the first, but I I do believe I'm like one of the first people who made it. Who like I'm one of the first people that made it normal to film sparring. Right. Whereas back in the day. Um, and even some gyms now, it's like you should never film your sparring because you don't want other people to see your footage. Mm-hmm. And back in the day when I started filming my, you know, people film tutorials, but people never film their sparring. And back in the day when I started filming my sparring, people would, there would always be students that would like kind of give me the eye and be like, oh, like what's Jeff up to again now? Like, why is he like filming all this? The complete opposite. Now people are like, Jeff, we're sparring. Are you going to take the camera? (laughs) And they want it to be posted. But back in the day, it was was the complete opposite. I was always that that guy who's like taking out the camera and filming. Like, what what is he up to? Mm -hmm. So So it was harder back then. They're like, no camera? Uh, I got to (laughs) go. It's funny funny because I I, I joke around, um, but I'm half joking and half not. But I try to not spar if I'm not going to film because – I'm at a point in my life where like, why lose brain cells if I'm not going to make content out of it? Yeah, you spar hard, man. (laughs) Yeah, we see a video with a hard to hurt. To be fair, to be fair, I always hit as hard as I get hit. And there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of people who think that I'm the one who starts hard sparring first. But I promise you, I always let my partners dictate uh, how hard they want to go. You probably don't know how hard you're hitting, bro. Because when when I watch your sparring, <laughs> you look intense. You look like a problem, dude. Every time I, it's like you like you go you go high, and then it's like a leg kick followed by another leg kick, and then a pause, breaking the rhythm, and then another leg kick. It's like to to be fair, what? sometimes they walk into the shot, but you do add a few leg kicks after that. <laughs> okay, well to be clear to clarify, when it comes to those combos. That the, the the intensity of the sparring has already escalated. But mm. I'm saying when we first start <laughs> off, I always let my partners dictate how hard they want to go. And I'll admit, you know, it's partially ego as well. If someone hits me hard first, then I will I will immediately amp it up and I will finish the round hard. And I have yet to be like, hey, you want to just cool off and chill? Although that's something I should do. We've yet to see that too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> No, even no. I have to admit, even your videos where you do explain that, hey, it got heated here, and this is what happened. Like, I don't see it, man. Like, I don't see you shifting the gear to a higher level. You know what I mean? I I do see a clean shot, and that happens in sparring. You know what I mean? You might walk into a a right straight when you didn't think it was coming, and obviously, if you walk into a cleaner shot like the Pacquiao Marquez, it's it's devastating. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's always there's always misunderstandings because there's always different weight classes and people who are significantly bigger may feel like they're going light, but they're obviously a lot harder. And I pride myself on control, so I know when I'm hitting hard and I know when I'm escalating it. And if someone's heavier is going light, but his punch still rocks my head back, I feel I need to hit a little harder to even his 
pace. And then he mm-hmm. sees that I'm going harder then he goes harder and then we both go harder. But with that said, I would say I have just as many videos of me doing technical light sparring where it's just touch, 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 touch. And it doesn't, right. it really depends on the sparring partner. Now, the truth is I tend to post more of the hard sparring simply because it just gets views. Mm-hmm. For <laughs> it's sure. more entertaining. But if you ask anybody that actually knows me in person or trains with me on a regular basis, 90% of my sparring is light and technical. Man, Jeff, are there any chances of you uh, sparring with the CM Boxing guys? You know what? I'm down to make content with anybody as long as, like... That would be badass. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not about would I fit, spar with this guy or whatever. It's do I have the opportunity? Mm. I, I would love to. I, I would love to spar with any person with a, with a name, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just do I have the opportunity? Do I have the luxury to spar with this person? Would he even spar with me? Am I even special enough? <laughs> I think that would be uh, beneficial for both brands. But um, yeah, you mentioned that um, at the beginning. Yeah, I, I understand that too. When you whip out the camera to spar, it's like, oh, this fool's about to record us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Probably going to show off or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but then and- like as as the modern days start taking over, it's, oh, wait, wait, let me set up my camera too. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I have developed a reputation for being very fair with what I post. So people, at least who know who I am, know that I'm not going to post a highlight reel of just me when I always, if, if, if it's a, unless it's a tutorial, which is different, the tutorial is me showing me teaching a technique followed by obviously sparring footage of me landing it. Mm-hmm. And then I will even add failed attempts. But if it's just like say me sparring this person, and it's a full session, I will make sure to leave every shot that I land and every shot that I get hit with. Mm. And I've gone to a point where if I'm sparring somebody and I'm dominating too much, I won't post it because I know people are just going to think I'm just trying to make a highlight reel for myself. Yeah. Um, so how is that? How do you pick your sparring partners for, for content? You kind of feel them out and be like, okay, this guy won't do anything. Um, you know, unpredictable because uh, not I, I, yeah, go all ahead. in that way. So I just film, I mean, right now I'm actually in New York and mm-hmm. my fiance is in Toronto. So we're actually doing long distance for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been filming less unless I feel like bothering someone to, to film for me or there's like mm-hmm. a special somebody that's here and I'm like, Hey, can, like, can we get this film? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just film whenever I get the chance. But prior to that, and when I get back living with my, my fiance, she usually helps me film whenever I spar. So I don't pick and choose who I spar with. I just show up to sparring class and I film everything. And usually what I do is after I film my sparring, I'll go over and watch it all uh, just to analyze and learn for myself, number one. But also if I can see a theme, Mm. then I'll title. So for example, I go into a sparring session at a new gym and say I spar a guy who's uh, 300 pounds and he's six feet two. I'll be like, Spartan giant, you know, that's just like a name <laughs> I, I came up with or, right. or if I happen to have sparred uh, a guy who's a karate world champion, then I'll make a video called sparring world champion. So I watched the, the video first, then I try to put a theme or a title to that video. I see. And if, if there's nothing, then I just break down those, uh, or I break down techniques that I've 
pulled off in this morning session and I added to a future tutorial. Mm. How long is that editing process, bro? Because you know, yeah. there, there have been specific videos on like one technique that you're trying to land in sparring. And it's like, like 20 different clips. So you must be like skimming through like two hours of video looking for that <laughs> one elbow to land 20 times. Yeah. And is it all is you? It? Do you have a team that like you yeah. work uh, to do this? It's just me and my fiance and wow. um, my fiance, wow. she doesn't touch the editing. She just, she does the business side of things. So the back end of things. Uh, editing is all me, but it's actually not as, as hard as you think. And you'll realize that once I explain it to you, uh, now, so if it's a sparring breakdown, meaning I'm sparring karate world champion or, or whatever the title of the video is, if I'm sparring one person in the whole video, it takes me maybe less than an hour to break it down. Sometimes I break it down a lot. Sometimes I only break down a little bit of it. Sometimes I just show the highlight reels. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on like, there's so many factors that help me decide whether I want to break it down, keep it a short video or make it a long video in terms of the tutorial, a tutorial can take a long time because I want to collect enough footage to make it a quality tutorial. So if I'm trying to teach the jab cross and I've only landed it twice and I only have footage of it twice, Mm -hmm. then I tend to just leave the project open and work on other projects and then if you know two or three weeks from now i land the jab cross again then boom i take that i add it to the tutorial but i only landed three times so i'm just gonna not complete the project yet and just keep doing other projects and oh i landed it again okay now i have like six six times i landed it now i'll add it to the foot to the tutorial i'm like okay i think it's good enough if that makes sense that makes total sense and so it i would assume that you have probably like times where you have multiple projects ongoing. Yes. 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 Okay. So obviously I've upgraded my technology throughout the years, but at the beginning I didn't have the greatest computer or, or, or a MacBook, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be able to edit so many projects on the MacBook cause it would freeze. Right. So then that would cause me to export and finish the video before it's completed. Whereas now I have a bigger desktop and I can save more footage and slowly add to it while working on other projects. So I'm curious, let's say you're doing um, like a jab cross tutorial, right? Yeah. Like it's an ongoing thing that maybe you've been working with, working on for a month. Mm-hmm. Do you actively try to slip those uh, jab straights in sparring to be like, I got it. I will go into a sparring session well, actually, I, I teach my students this. I tell my students, you should be going into, whether it's jujitsu or striking, you should be going into sparring with a goal. You shouldn't be going in just to freestyle. It. You should mm-hmm. be going in with a purpose. And I'll literally go into to, to a sparring session. Uh, for example, you know, Sean O'Malley does like a spinning back fist into a roundhouse kick. Right. And it's like a crazy like tornado, tornado mm-hmm. combination. And I literally did that like, 20 times in, in my sparring session because I literally went to the, the, the sparring session doing that. And I'll have students or, or, or partners, they'll be like, hey, Jeff, like, uh, what, what, what fight are you trying to imitate today? Uh, what, what kind of combos am I going to expect? Like, they're just joking around. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah. That's Is awesome. that to strengthen the, the muscle memory? Is that the way? Uh, No, it's just if you want to get better at something, you need to practice it. You need to literally keep trying it over and over again, even though your partner knows you're trying to land that. 
To me, that's dope because it's like you you move from the practicing drilling phase into the applying into real time phase. Yeah, that's the best way to really learn something. Drilling is is one thing. You need to be able to drill it without resistance first. Like you need to bench press the bar before you put on weights. But then, yes, you need to apply it in sparring. And another tip that people misunderstand is um, when you first learn a technique, you should try it on someone that's less experienced than you. Because if you try that technique on someone that's better than you, you're going to be like, fuck this technique. It doesn't work. <laughs> so it's, it's Jab like, suck. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's a lot of people, um, a lot of people on YouTube who leave <laughs> comments who will be like, oh, you only spar people who suck. Well, the truth is there's <laughs> countless of videos of people beating the crap out of me on my channel. But yes, the, the, the truth is when it comes to tutorials, there's a mixture of experienced guys and beginners. Because if I'm going to try a move that I just watch a UFC fighter do online and I'm going to try it for my first time in sparring, I'm going to do it against someone who's not that good mm. and work my way up and do it on better people and better and then harder sparring and so on. You know what I love too about your uh, videos is the uh, failed attempts too. Mm-hmm. I feel like those you could you could learn a lot about that because it's not just hey this didn't work but it also shows the counter for that move so you avoid that as well. Yeah, and it also it also tells viewers like hey I'm not perfect and you're going to miss and fail a lot of times too before you land it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So um, going back to sparring. Um, I feel like in the beginning, like I said, it's kind of like, oh, who's this guy pulling out his phone? And I feel like now, now they know you, it's like, oh, pull out your phone, you know, let's go record. But then I feel like now you've you've become this this uh, figure in the internet, the sparring, you know, like MMA shredded. Mm-hmm. And do you think or do you feel, well, I feel like personally coming, looking in from outside, it seems like there's a target on your back when you go sparring, right? Sometimes. Um, <laughs> say and so I mean, ba- based on based on seeing your videos, you answer the call all the time. <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that? Is there ever time you were like, "Hey, man, like we're just sparring," or do you just rise to their level? Um, I get in trouble by my fiance all the time, <laughs> but I I and as I get older and as I become more mature and and get rid of my ego, um, the next time someone goes hard on me for sparring actually tell them like hey this is light sparring but then i think like it's gonna be good footage (laughs) (laughs) so so it's hard it's hard it's hard at the end of the day if you really watch my videos religiously you'll see that i post a lot of technical sparring and whenever i do i will do like a voiceover saying like hey guys this is how you should spar this is how you'll get better by doing light technical sparring hard sparring is good for pushing the cardio it's good for um, getting used to the intensity if you're in fight camp. But if you're off camp and you're just trying to get better, you need to do light technical sparring. And that's what I promote all the time. Uh, but when I do post a hard sparring video, it always gets the most. <laughs> Every, everybody has different different definitions of, of light technical sparring. What, what would you define as light technical sparring? Just trying to land you know, certain techniques to the body, like, like having targets in mind? Uh, like technical sparring to me is just controlled sparring. Like I can punch you without gloves 
and not hurt you. I, that's I can punch, I can spar bare shin and not hurt you. Like the kick should bounce off of you. If you've watched guys spar, they spar bare shin all the time and they can spar fast, but not hurt you. So you should be able to throw a kick very fast and very intense and the kick should bounce off, but it shouldn't inflict any pain. And that's technical sparring. With control. Gotcha. With control, yes. And a common mistake is for people to snap the kick. And even though it's a light snap, it inflicts pain. Mm. And then if you're kicking with control and he's fl- snapping and flicking the kick, that's also another way that, that it escalates. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, one thing I, I grew up playing basketball and going into fighting, I kind of carried it over was, um, you know, I would copy different basketball players shooting styles like oh kobe you know uh, rashid wallace shoots like this this isn't that and then going into fighting something that kind of drew me to your videos first was uh the signature moves mm-hmm. um that tells me you're very cerebral too as a student of martial arts um was this kind of something that you noticed individually or were, was this something that like you caught on you're like hey, i'm gonna do a video on these signature moves is this like a Rolodex you had in your mind that you just put out in, as content? So it started off with TJ Dillashaw. I think that was my first first fighter I did. And uh, I was just – I just saw him do a combination. I'm like, damn, that was a slick-ass com- a combination. Mm-hmm. And then I started like replaying the video. And then I started drilling it myself. And then I start – I tried it in sparring. And I got on footage and I'm like, hey, why don't I just like – make it have a fight like tj dillashaw <laughs> and then that's how the series started and so then i started doing several different ufc fighters and i do them a lot less now because mm-hmm. at the end of the day most fighters they do the same thing they throw a jab cross they throw a hook they throw a low kick they throw they throw your your, your usual combinations so because i've made um videos of specific ufc fighters already it's very hard to continue doing on every fighter because it's like, I'll do a, a video on Cain Velasca, but he throws a jab cross or he throws a cross up here. If there's a low kick, there's nothing special. Mm-hmm. But if there's a guy that comes around like Sean O'Malley, where he's a little bit more fancy or Dominic Cruz with the head movement or TJ Dillashaw with his high kicks, uh, I need a, I need a fighter with like a very specific, unique style that I can just make him different. Mm. With that, with that said, Jeff, um, I have a specific age-old question that I think people want to know. So when you're, when you're, when we're taught throwing the hook, mm. right, the lead hook, it's uh, palm in, mm. thumb up, right. But if if the target is farther away, what what Dwayne Lud- Ludwig from mm. Bang Muay Thai and TJ Dillashaw teach is to turn and throw it, throw it like that. Is is that what you believe too? Yes, I, I, I punch with uh, my palm down. I turn my knuckle in and I punch with my arm almost straight, actually. Hmm. The further away the target is. Yeah. It, well, I'm just an outside fighter and a, a distance fighter in general. So you will yeah. rarely see me throw hooks like this. Hmm. Uh, I'm, always fighting, I'm always throwing hooks like this because I'm just simply, I like to be long and I like to yeah. fight on the side. Gotcha. Did, did, you, did you get that, that distance control, that range from, from Connor? A little bit like the Connor definitely had an influence. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I can see it, man. I could see the the wider stance, mm-hmm. um, kind of using that long guard to to kind of gauge and, and keep him away a little bit. The bouncy, the bouncy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I started with Muay Thai, and you know Muay Thai, you stand very tall, you shell up a lot, and um, one of the fighters that I looked up to a lot was Blockout. Like everyone does. Yeah, <laughs> he has a very like tight shell guard, walk forward and just like smash. But I felt like I was getting. I was taking too much damage to the head. Like even though you're blocking, even though you're wearing gloves and the punch hits your glove and the glove hits your head, you're still losing brain cells. Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel, I feel like I feel like I was getting slower. I feel like I was mm-hmm. just like getting hit too much and I was like losing my memory. Maybe it's just through age, but and it's a placebo effect because I know that I'm getting hit as well. So then I started like changing my style a bit and started becoming more evasive, watching more like Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw and Anderson Silva. And then um, watching Leo Machida and Joyce St. Pierre with karate, I, I started changing my stance and learning more karate. So I'll stick with the same Muay Thai weapons, but I'll use the karate footwork and the hands down style. And ever since I started adapting that style, I just never went back. Yeah, I, I like your guard because it's it's not necessarily hands down. It's almost like hand play, right? Yeah, I'll change it up. Like if, if uh-huh. my opponent is far enough, I'll drop my hands. The second you get closer, then my hands will come. Yeah, that I, we we call you the original style bender, man, because like you were doing that before. <laughs> I think Izzy debuted in, in fucking UFC, dude. <laughs> Bro, just- Speaking of that, man, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jerisi, but I had to ask, bro. Um, so speaking of styles, I, I was speaking with, with Jerisi right before the podcast, and we wanted to even compare you to Bruce Lee because I know you've been yeah. training with some Jeet Kune Do guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I first started uh, Jeet Kune Do at a place called OC Kickboxing, cool. um, trained under Dan Sullivan, who trained under Dan Inosanto, yeah, the Filipino okay. guy, the Cali guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I when I saw those videos of you beating up Jeeko, <laughs> I was like, dude, he is the style bender. He is. He's the he's the, he's the uh, reincarnation of Bruce, man. I, I got my butt beat as well uh, by by someone named Teddy specifically. He he's yeah. a very very good martial artist with a Muay Thai background, though. Yeah. So do you do you think? Because I've been. Because I, I do amateur Muay Thai, uh, I have a losing record at the moment, but it's it's coming back up because of you, man. This this podcast <laughs> is going to inspire me. I'm going to win this. Um, but how do you feel? Because I, I get criticism when I when I train at different gyms, I get criticism for using you know your type of style. I, I kind of model myself after you a little bit, you know, trying to keep my my big head out of out of the center line. You know, it's an easy target. Yep. Um, how do you feel about using? You know the Jeet Kune Do wide stance in a in a Muay Thai, Muay Thai format. Yeah, do you think that's like like frowned upon? I feel like it's frowned upon in Orange County, to be honest, man. I would say that the style that you're talking about is not more so the Jeet Kune Do stance or style, but more of like the karate hands down style. Yes, um, but with that said, to answer your question. If I walked into a gym and nobody knew who I was, and the co- yeah the coach didn't know who I was, the coach would come up to me and be like, "Put your hands up. Don't don't drop your hands. Keep that chin tucked. 
uh, keep them super tight. If they knew who I was and saw or knew my experience, then they wouldn't say anything. So what happens is I get a lot of students or people online who learn from me and copy me. And because they're a beginner, the coach will tell them not to, because the truth is it's more dangerous and it's more risky. But if you know the rules, you can break the rules. And if you have experience and you can manage distance, then it's okay. So love it. So, so I don't know if your coach knows you very well. I don't know how experienced you are, but if you walk into a gym, I am not surprised at all that your coach would tell you, Hey, cut that shit out, put your hands up. But if wonder boy walked in that gym, kept his hand down, I guarantee <laughs> that that coach wouldn't say anything. Same with Dominic Cruz, same with any, you know, fighters that are known. So it's simply about experience and whether you can manage that distance or not. I, I had the same problem as you, like, cause the, the Thai style is just, like you said, Wukao, just stand in front of them, you know, move your head a little bit, bang, take damage, blah, blah, blah. Like I was taking way too much damage, man. And, you know, I figured, you know, maybe boxing a little bit and lateral, a little bit of more lateral movement would be effective. And it was, but I, I went, not my current gym, uh, another gym that I trained at for like a couple weeks. They're like, man, you, you're not, you're not one of us, bro. You're not one of us. You got to teep right. You got to, you know, stand there with your knee bouncing. And I'm like, I'm just going to get hit, dude. Like, <laughs> it's not working for me. You got, I don't want to get beat up, you know? One of the most important traits that a coach should have, in my opinion, is the ability to see that not, <clears throat> not one style is meant for everybody. And right. uh, if you're not super jacked and you're not six feet tall, then maybe that style is not for you. Or it just depends who you're fighting. So if I'm fighting someone smaller, I will shell up and I will pressure forward and I will kind of like bully the guy, like pressure forward. If I'm smaller, I'll do the opposite. So you should adapt to who you're fighting. Right. Yeah. So it raises also, the topic also, of sorry, uh, sorry, one more thing. Another yeah, another huge thing is are you competing or sorry, are you, are you sparring in MMA or are you training for MMA or are you training for the streets? Because if you shell up, and stand in a tall stance and just get in my pocket and it was MMA or the streets, I will double leg you across the field. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sure you would, dude. <laughs> so you can't stand tall like that in MMA or in the streets, unless yeah. like you have like crazy jujitsu experience and like, you're not scared to go to the ground. Hmm. So there's so many different factors, but for me, I'm always thinking like I'm striking for MMA and I'm striking for self-defense. Yeah. Great yeah, point. I think, I mean, like, I feel like every gym, if they don't really know you, they kind of run you through the generic course, sure. right? Sure. Right. And until, you know, they see you fucking beat up some of their students. They're like, oh, hey, well, just to see that, that works, have- right? <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, but, like, whenever you go to any gym, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, I'm, I'm always as respectful as I can, and I, I act as if I'm a beginner. And if, if the coach tells me to put my hand up, I'll put my hand up until I start to farm because then it's like, hey – I'm I'm caring about my own safety, not not yours. Right. So yeah, my question. Um, you've been all around the world training at different gyms. Do you have a home gym? And um, what was the most memorable place that you trained at? And what was the what takeaway did you get from that? Um. So to answer your first question, I do have a home gym in Ottawa, Gracie Baja, mm-hmm. and that's the gym that I'll go back to whenever I'm back at home. 
I'm currently living in New York and I'm teaching full time at Glory Martial Arts Center. Mm. And um, yes, I do travel quite a bit. And what was your what was your question again? Um, <laughs> oh, memorable, memorable yeah, things. Um, memorable uh, gym moments or what? You know, there's been so many. There's been so many gyms that I've been to, and they're all great gyms. So it's not really about which gym was the best. It was the people that I met and the mm-hmm. content I created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how was uh, the TriStar gym with Faraz Zahabi? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Faraz is a really good coach. Very humble, very uh, knowledgeable. I love the way he teaches and a lot of fighters. And I would have stayed at TriStar. The, the reason why that made me not want think it was not a, a right fit for me is was simply because um, they don't allow filming. Hmm. There's uh, simply too many pro fighters there, which is totally understandable. But for me, my goal is not to be world champion. My goal is not to be is to not continue fighting. My goal is to keep growing the channel and run my business and be a coach. And I'm a content creator at the end of the day. So if I can't film, then the gym's not for me. But I love that gym. It's amazing, and I, I recommend it to everybody. That's so dope. So um, I see that you're doing these uh, these uh, like these trips to Thailand to do striking seminars. Yep. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll do seminars around the world, but um, these specific camps or retreats are they're a week or two week long, and um, yeah, I'll, I, I basically host a camp at a gym in Thailand. We train twice a day, every day, and I'm going to Thailand next in February, February 25th. Heck yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, I feel like that's a pilgrimage for, for a Muay Thai fighter to train in Thailand, right? <laughs> yeah, where you at? You should go. <laughs> I know, man. And you, that, that brings me to a, to another question, Jeff, because me, me and another buddy, we had pipe dreams prior to my losses. <laughs> we had pipe dreams of opening up a gym. And, okay. you know, logically – um, in order to open up a gym, you want to have credibility, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the gyms, a lot of the coaches that I trained under, um, they had fights under their belts, some, some of which were, were uh, title belts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think it is absolutely necessary, especially if you're, if you're going to teach Thai boxing to, to go to Thailand and have some fights under your belt? I, I, think, I think it's 100% necessary, right? Um, I think it helps, but I have heard many, many, many times that you don't need to be a fighter to be a good coach. In fact, when you're a super good fighter, you're, you're a worse coach. And when you have, when you're more of a coach than a fighter, you're a great coach. Hmm. And I I hear this at like all levels, but with that said, I do think having a bit of experience and just having been in the ring is, is enough experience but yeah yeah and just because you're a good fighter doesn't mean you're a good coach it doesn't mean you can break it down it doesn't mean you have the same fight iq and doesn't mean you can see and break things down the same way because some fighters are successful because they're tough and they have heart and they just they just work hard and they win through being tough like a lot of fighters they win through shelling up standing in front of their opponent taking a lot of shits a lot, a lot of shots and, and and just trading and, and winning through toughness but that doesn't like I wouldn't teach my student to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting because we're in a new era of like I mean I feel like the pandemic kind of accelerated that where there's a lot of learning material now online 
mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, your your content inspired me and kind of got me started. Um, what do you think about the modern day of martial arts training? Do you think you need a home gym now or you can kind of just gym hop and have your own vlog? You know what I mean? Kind of like what you're doing. I kind of called you the modern day Bruce Lee because you're documenting every Bruce Lee had a journal, right? <laughs> yeah. You yeah, have yeah. a you have a vlog. Like everything is kind of I mean, you might have some videos that you have private just for your sake, you know what I mean? But essentially you're keeping a database of your of your knowledge and and your journey. Um, do you think now there's enough tools and resources online to become an adept martial artist uh, independently? Good question. I think that I've sparred a bunch of 15 and 16-year-olds that were that are significantly better than when I was 15 or 16-year-old, which just <laughs> shows that like now they have access to online uh, tutorials and they can learn so much faster. Because right now, if you come to <clears throat> a class there can be minimum 30 to 50 people in a class and there's just simply too many students to pay attention to everybody. So you either got to pay for privates or you got to kind of watch the tutorials and practice on your own. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it depends, right? Um, but to answer your question, you can get, I think, I believe you can get really good through cross training. In fact, you need to cross train to really grow, but you want a home gym, and you want training partners that you trust and that you're close with because you want to develop a relationship with those training partners because, for example, hard sparring. Mm-hmm. Hard sparring with someone that you just met is good to a degree because you don't know what he's going to do. Right. And it's also very dangerous. Whereas one of my coaches and teammates, Fred Stonehouse, when we spar, we can spar like really hard. But with that said, we spar really hard but kind of pull the punches. It's like we spar really hard, but I know he won't injure me or hurt me. Mm. Like he will chop my leg to the point where I'm going to limp. And then he'll throw like a super hard, fast high kick. But then as soon as he makes contact, he lets go. And I don't, I don't feel it. Like that's how much I trust him. Mm. So you need that kind of training partner. But then sometimes you need to challenge yourself and go to a gym and, and, and spar with someone you've never moved with because he's super awkward and just different. Right. And I guess like just thinking about it, if you spar with the same people all the time too, you, you miss out on exactly. that kind of edge, you know, that primal fight, the, the game speed of, of, of the technique, right? Yes. I wouldn't even say game speed because I can, I can have that game speed with partners I trust. Mm. I just know what they're doing. Whereas you go to different gyms, there's different styles. Because if you train with me, you're going to learn – to fight like me, you're going to be very evasive. You're going to move and run a lot and you're going to irritate a lot of people. <laughs> go to another gym and, and their style is completely different. They, they're Dutch style. They're, they shell, they pressure. Maybe another gym, they're full of grapplers. So like they, they punch, punch and go right into a grappling. You go to another gym, they're also evasive, hands down. So every gym has their own style depending on the coaches that they provide. Hmm, interesting. Do you have a favorite style? Of yours, like as far as a fighter style or anything like I that. I mean, I would say like um, Conor McGregor. I, I love his style. Dominic Cruz. I, I would say I got the low kicks from Jose Aldo. I got the takedowns from GSP. I got the hands down from Wonder Boy. Got the high kicks from TJ Dillashaw. Wow. Uh, there's just so many fighters that I've taken and added to my game. 
I see all of that. Seriously. Just said, I see <laughs> real, it, right? that's, that's wild, dude. That <laughs> no, when sense. he said the Conor McGregor to the Dominic Cruz, I saw the fight pattern of him sizing you up and then yeah. dude, yeah, if, if I had to make a wild. signature if I had to make a signature moves of Jeff Chan, it'd be the darting two to the trailing <laughs> low kick, bro. <laughs> the I, I darting two. <laughs> we know awesome. your lingo, man. We know it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And the um, darden so, is from watching like um Wonderboy Thompson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just mix that in with Jose's low kicks, then so then, then Dominic Cruz's head movement after you know. Yeah, your head your head movement is impeccable, man. I would definitely see the the Dominic Cruz uh, influence in that. As far as your special move, the uh, I call it your special move, the darting two to the low kick. Uh-huh. Is that something you kind of just saw as an opening? Because when I started sparring, I I, I saw a, a low kick to the two was like a a very fast an effective combo that I had that I just started building on. Was that kind of something that, that, that brought you to that combo as just kind of like a natural instinct. And then you're like, Hey, this is open all the time. I'm going to start um, refining it. Um, I, I first learned the move from one of my coaches named crew, Devin Henry. And um, he was one of the first guys I knew that went from pro Muay Thai to uh, pro MMA and he's mm-hmm. the one who taught me, like, you know, as a Muay Thai Dutch style kickboxer, they throw a lot of like cross hook low kick, one, two, three low kick, a lot mm-hmm. of like five, six punch hand combinations into low kicks. And then uh, Crew Devon was telling me, like, in MMA, you're wearing small little gloves. You're not going to be standing in front of your opponent and exchanging like that. You're going to be a lot further away from your opponent and you're going to be pumping that jab, pumping that cross. You're going to be throwing single shots. And those single shots are going to hurt because you're wearing MMA gloves. Mm. So instead of thinking like six, seven, eight punch combination into a low kick where while you're throwing that seven, eight punch combination, your opponent can change levels at any time and double leg you across the field. Mm-hmm. Play one shot, one shot, move, one shot, move, one shot, move, one shot, low kick, one shot, low kick. And then I developed that style from him. And the cross is one of my favorite weapons. And uh, yeah, it just works really well for me. You know, I think I think Joe Bazooka Valtellini also teaches this, but using the same side weapons is not something that a lot of people expect. You know, throwing the two and then throwing the same right two, yeah. it's uh, it's not something that I'm prepared for either. Like, I'm always expecting a two and then a switch kick, right? Yes. Or a jab and then a right kick. Mm-hmm. But when you throw that darting two, no one's going to expect that leg kick to come from from their left side right so i think that's uh you know along with your broken rhythm and along Mm -hmm. with with that that mentality of tricking them with the same side weapons Mm -hmm. even tripling it up too you know throwing the darting two right kick another darting two these guys are just getting hit from the left like like yeah yeah definitely i i um when you're teaching someone who's new you generally teach them left to right right to left just to help them develop that momentum right and power in their strikes but once you get really comfortable with throwing a single technique, then you can start mixing right, right, because it's called same side striking, right? You throw the right punch, the person carries your right hand, he drops his hand, Boom. Kick, or body, or head, or yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of different variations of the, I call it the Whitaker special, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one, two kick. <laughs> yes, yes, oh yeah. <laughs> Robert Whitaker is one of the guys that I've um, copied as well in terms of hands down. He keeps his hands low. He's very bouncy, bouncy. Then stuff darts. Yeah, yeah. I see that. And um, also from the other side, it's Leon Edwards. He's got the southpaw, yeah, two 
two kick that one in the belt with the Usman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, hey Jeff, now, now, now that we're on that topic, Jeff, what do you think about a potential fight between Robert Whitaker and, and Pahea, Alex Pahea? Because that was a devastating for, loss um, for, for Stylebender. I think, I think Robert Whitaker is going to take him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think so too. I think Israel Adesanya w- was going to win. Could have won if he just went for a takedown. I think he was letting Pereira get way too close with him. Yeah, because Pereira was get like shelling up and walking right in front of him. And if you look at Pereira's hooks, they were short boxing style hooks. Mm. And for you to land those kind of short stuff, like short boxing style hooks, you got to be really close to your opponent. And if Israel Adesanya just threatened more takedowns, he would have backed up a little more. But because he kept letting him get closer and closer and closer, he eventually ate that short little left hook. Yeah, yeah. So. Interesting you mentioned that because it ended in the fence. So. Yeah, exactly. Much, yeah. Let him get so close. Mm-hmm. But again, I think if that was Robert Whitaker, he would have double legged him for sure. Like you stand, like for me, I use a long guard right here, and if my opponent gets within this lead arm, that signals me to strike back immediately, or double leg, or get hit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How about um, a Perea versus um, what's his name? Hamza. Hamza, <laughs> definitely. Hamza, I, I think Jemima, yeah. Damn, that guy's a monster, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of a uh, guy who talks all, shit all the time, uh, being a content creator, there's a bunch of, um, you know, the YouTube comments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you kind of had to get used to, and then you just kind of you don't don't pay attention to that anymore, or is it now one I'm, of those I'm, things I'm, where sometimes you have time? You know what I mean. <laughs> I, I read every comment. So if you leave a if you're watching this and you're a hater, I do read your comments. <laughs> but I I am desensitized by the comments now. It, it used to bother me. Like I used to feel the urge to respond and explain to them that <laughs> like the most common and it's funny because I, I already like spoke about it earlier in this podcast, <laughs> but but I basically one of the most hated comments that I used to get is you only spar people that suck. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not the case. If you just watch the second video or the, the video that I released prior to that, you would see that I spar people that are really good and I got my butt kicked in that video. And then you watch the one video where I, I win and you mm-hmm. make that call. Anyways, it used to bother me so much and I would used to want to explain to them like, hey, actually, no, you know, I sparred this guy who's better than me and I sparred this guy who's better than me. Um, and when it comes to tutorials, you need to spar with people that are not as good if you want to get better at them. And I used to feel the urge to explain that, but I realized that there's a lot of people in this world and there's a lot of people who are very unhappy in this world. And unfortunately, those are the people that go online and leave negative comments. Like ask yourself, when was the last time you went on a YouTube video and left a mean comment? Like who does that? (laughs) Yeah. It's projecting, right? Like, yeah, you're, you're mostly projecting your insecurities on the content. Yeah. So when I when I read those comments now, I'm first of all, I'm used to it, and and for me, it's just like even if I try to explain it, it's not going to help them. It's not going to change. You just dig yourself further into another hole, huh? <laughs> well, by responding, I'm I'm now losing. Yeah. He's yeah. now trolled me, and who knows if that guy's just trolling me because he doesn't like me. Right, because there are people who 
there, there'll be people who like I, I recognize their name and they will comment on every single one of my videos <laughs> negative but they're still watching all my videos suckers <laughs> oh, thanks for Look the video. guy he sucks but he's got nice two and low kick though <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. hey jeff with, with that said man um you know for the most for the most part of this podcast we've been talking about martial arts you know we really want to get to know you just a little bit more you know we don't want to you know undress you not, not, to, <laughs> almost, not, to, not to sound weird but um, like, well, what kind of books do you read? I mean, you carry yourself very well. You, mm-hmm. You're you're articulate. You're a gentleman. You're a monster, you know, in the in the cage, in the ring. But uh, you seem to have a very good head on your shoulders, a, a good work ethic. Like what where do you get your inspiration from? What do you do? You read a lot. Do you study philosophy? I wish I read a lot. Me too. <laughs> I wish I read a lot. I'm actually not good in school. I dropped out of accounting. Um, I actually went to law enforcement because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Interesting. And um, I'm, I'm no longer in law enforcement and, and I'm doing YouTube, which I'm, I'm very happy and uh, thankful for. But um, I would say I'm like a very simple person. I sleep a lot. I eat a lot. I train a lot. And I'm obsessed with making content. So sometimes I'm like life's very boring but my business and my channel keeps me entertained mm-hmm. you, you sound like a super saiyan with a business channel. yeah you sound like Goku <laughs> with a camera bro <laughs> well, I mean I, yeah yeah I mean I, I I love traveling and um those are the things that I, I I just training training making content food is is my life without food I think I'd be a much less happy person I, I, I get excited for food. I get excited for dinner. In fact, I'm eating in probably 30 or 40 minutes from now, and I'm super excited to eat. Your face is glowing, dude. You got a big smile. Yeah, <laughs> Are there um, any like addictions or vices that you that you deal with that you that you can help like other people, like you know, I don't know, social social media in terms of mar- martial arts or social media, or just like any any addictions in general, like cigarettes. Oh, oh, addiction. Um, yeah. No addictions. Um, You're a super saiyan. I don't even drink coffee. I don't wow. drink coffee. Yet. What? <laughs> you know what's funny? I worked, it's not even funny, but I worked overnight shifts as a security guard for five years full time. So I would work 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and I never drank coffee. Dang! Wow. Sounds like Jerizy. Jerizy's Jerizy's. Uh, he works yeah. in the medical field, and he um he doesn't sleep, dude. He like yeah. hits me up at like four o'clock in the morning. You ready for this podcast, bro? <laughs> I got work in two hours. What are you doing? He's like, I'm at work, dog. Like what? The, the difference about me is I sleep a lot. I, I nap every day. I nap every single day. Yeah, I I drink coffee probably like twice during the shift. So that's there's there's a difference. <laughs> I mean, you have to as a, as a like. You're not just a content creator. Your content is kind of athletic, and yeah. it's not basketball, bro. Like your content is sparring. You know what I mean? Yeah. So not only do you have to be recovered, but you have to be your reaction time has to be in tip-top shape. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a regular recovery routine when when it comes to because you spar pretty hard <laughs> for the fifth time? <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine like I mean, well, you just mentioned that. You you don't really spar unless there's cam- there's um, the camera so because it's wasted content right but um, 
in the heydays of uh, you know training for a fight at one and all that, did, did you have any um, go to recovery regimens? Uh, you know your your simple go to the sauna, massage gun, massage chair, sleep, and eat a lot. Nothing nothing special really. I stretch a lot as well, but I would say just regular rest. Like I'm a very normal athlete. Like I don't take supplements. Sometimes I will, mm-hmm. but I, I don't do anything out of the ordinary. I'm like a very regular, normal person. Um, and, and actually to add to what you're saying or to fix what you're saying, actually, um, I do spar even there's no camera, but I'll definitely keep it light spark. Mm. And although I post a lot of sparring videos, people think I spar like three times a week, but I spar like once every two weeks. Sometimes I spar once a week. I actually don't spar a lot. But just because you see me posting it, that could be filmed like three, four months ago or two months ago. Like I film whenever I get the chance and I have content on stock. So I don't have to release a single or I don't have to film for the next six months and I have content already uploaded and ready. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, us too for this podcast space, whenever we all get together and we start talking, we're like, hey, shut up. Let's just save it for the podcast. <laughs> so I think it's kind of similar too, which is kind of hard because we're friends that have known each other since high school. So we're around each other all the time. But ever since we started the podcast, it's like, hey, let's just save it. <laughs> we could totally relate to that. <laughs> for sure. Um, for sure. I mean, um, I, do you guys follow David So? Is I, he or no? Who is, is he affiliated with Bobby Lee? Uh probably, probably. But he is right? from California, um, okay. and he does uh, the Genius podcast. But anyways, he he just brings friends over and just talks. <laughs> just mm-hmm. just has a conversation. <laughs> In fact, when he invited me for his uh, podcast, he kind of just asked me, and then I said sure, and then like the next thing. We went to his room, didn't prep me at all, and it was just like three, four, or four, three, two, one, boom, and then just started the podcast, and we literally just had a conversation. <laughs> hey, I got a question, Jeff. Um, I, I can I can envision you being on Joe Rogan's podcast someday. I'm going to manifest that right now. <laughs> um, that would be cool, if, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> if you do, hypothetically speaking, if he offered you a joint, would you smoke it? <laughs> I would definitely. I would definitely. You would, yo, what? Yes, but content. That's that's awesome. What if it had DMT, though? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, speaking of manifesting, man, um, one of our talking points here was I wanted to manifest you into this influencer circle of, of fighting. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like I said before, I think you're the OG of this, and – I don't know if it's because they know that and, you know, they're not really calling out the Shane Faisons, you know, you and the actual content creators that do specifically fighting. Um, how do you feel about that being? I mean, I don't know if you see yourself as an OG in this game, but I do. But how do you feel about that? Do you guys feel kind of like left out or do you feel like that's not even your league because you guys do the real shit? You know what I mean? Are you are you referring to like the Jake Paul? Yeah. Jake Paul, um, influencer I mean, I Jake, fighters. I think Jake Paul's way above me in numbers, so I can't really compare myself to him. I think Shane Faison is in the millions, and I think he is a legit OG. Like he started like ten years before I did. Mm-hmm. He's got it's a lot. Like, he's an OG. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm sure they've reached out to him. Uh, oh, wow. I just, I just don't think he wants to fight. And um, I have not been reached out to yet. <laughs> That's all. Uh, campaign. Hashtag MMA shredded, baby. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I mean, it was called because right now I watched the, the, the most recent pay-per-view that they had. And I mean, they had all these YouTubers and TikTokers that you, I haven't even heard of. You know what I mean? So I feel like mm-hmm. I was talked about this on the podcast. I feel like now more than ever, the landscape has changed to where you don't need to go through a promoter or that traditional circuit like there's this avenue now where you could kind of just use your followers and your influence to be able to sometimes you get better paychecks too just fighting on that card oh, opposed to sure. you know the amateur link logan paul yeah, yeah. For sure you get better paychecks. And, and, and there's uh it's like cm punk fought and like brock lesnar i mean brock <laughs> lesnar is a whole different story but like there's tons of guys who got opportunities to fight in the ufc and they didn't have any experience yeah if- you, you mentioned Jeff that if uh, you, your your goal your your ultimate goal your pursuit is not to become a world champion it's to you know um, make your business bigger to to expand your business let's say hypothetically speaking knock on wood if this didn't work out which it's already working out would you have pursued that fighter life because you know as an amateur fighter I'm not getting paid at all. I'm paying oh. to fight and to lose. <laughs> I'm paying to lose. <laughs> uh, you're you're 100% right. Um, the reason why I haven't fought in the last two years and don't plan on taking any fights is because I'm not getting paid what I feel I'm worth with one championship. And I actually take a pay cut. Like I lose money by taking a fight. Because I wouldn't be coaching full time, I wouldn't be making content, I wouldn't be in New York. I would be at a, a more of a fighters' gym where there's guys that are significantly better than me, so I can level up my game. Whereas right now, I'm focusing on coaching uh, the channel and and just working. and And I'm I'm happy being a martial artist. I like I love my my lifestyle right now. When I take a fight, I'm stressed. I'm dieting. I'm sore and my body's broken, but I still got to train hard and I'm stressing every day about the fight. Like it's stressful. Fighting is super stressful mm-hmm. and I'm losing money because the exactly. amount they pay me is not like, I'm telling you, I'm losing money. Wow. It's a tough road, man. Being, being a fighter. Yeah. Jerizi has, has yeah. a couple fights under his belt too, under his belt too. And mm-hmm. the whole process, man, like you said, it's stressful. You, you're, you're losing money and you you might lose and god man it's it's in front of like you know a bunch of people that you invited family members friends and it's like why did i even do this like god and then well, you come back yeah the, the truth yeah. is i mean there's a lot of people out there that unfortunately don't are not in a better situation and that's all they really have and right. and yeah so unfortunately people don't have the option and if they stick through with it, sometimes you can turn out to be like a Conor McGregor or George St. Pierre. You know, like George St. Pierre apparently was a garbage, garbage man. You That's know? crazy. Damn. And um, it's it's amazing that they, they they made it this big. But there's a lot of fighters out there, and there's a lot of hungrier fighters out there than I. There are fighters who are more experienced, fighters who started younger than me, fighters with more experience, <clears throat> fighters with more res- resources. And the main thing, fighters that are a lot more hungry than I am. 
do you envision yourself being like like an actual coach for a fighter that you would take under your wing to kind of bring up or is it more of like a general my content is the way I coach if you want privates you can come along to this trip or we could do one-on-ones like what's the ultimate goal for MMA shredded um I would eventually like to open up a gym and settle down um the issue right now is I'm like I'm all over the place I don't know Mm -hmm. I'm literally July of last year I had plans to move to Calgary but ended up staying in Ottawa and then was going to move to Toronto but then I moved to New York (laughs) and I'm constantly like changing my mind don't know where to go and because my online business allows me to travel like I'm going to Australia then I'm going to Thailand then I'm going to Germany so I'm like constantly traveling and I don't know where I'm going to settle so with that said because I'm constantly traveling all I can really do is teach online but with that said i actually took a full-time position at glory martial arts in new york right now and um i do privates but i also teach full-time so i'm paying attention to the students like every day kind of thing but i don't know how long i'm going to be here as well mm. the, the long <laughs> what was that? orange county <laughs> I, I, it's a nice place i've been there twice yeah, bro. Just start a gym here. Give us some discounts. Or have you have you um, pick up trash? Have you done like a maybe like a nationwide tour of like you know where you Sanchai used to do that right where he goes around with the Yokao crew. Yeah, um, I mean Yokao is or, or Yokao and Sanchai is like way bigger than me in in numbers. But uh, for me, I, I travel when I get the opportunity. Like when I, I don't reach out to gyms and be like, hey, wanna wanna have me as a mm-hmm. seminar. I mean, for a seminar, yeah. like I just make the assumption that nobody knows who I am. But if someone reaches out to me and invites me for a seminar, I usually will will say yes. Very humble, man. I mean, I I put you on a pedestal. So to 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 hear yourself talk about yourself like that, it's more power to you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But, Slow, but, man. but if I'm being completely honest, I'm I'm not really anybody special. I am just somebody who is pretty good at martial arts and. I vlog my martial arts and you can see that I've improved a lot since I started. Like when I first made my first few videos, like when I look back and watch my videos, not only was I really cringy on camera, but my skill wasn't that good. <laughs> so I got a lot better through just my years of training, just as anyone would be if they were consistent with their training. And the only reason why I'm, I've made a career out of it is because I was consistent with my content and I never gave up on it. And the truth is there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of fighters who are better than me. I just, I would say though, I, I do have a skill for teaching and breaking mm-hmm. down. But there are tons of fighters that are better than me with more experience than me. And if they vlogged their content and, and, and was as generous with sharing their knowledge, they would also have the same platform. The, the issue is that they don't. So for an example, Nowadays, more and more, you know, UFC fighters and like big name fighters are starting their own channels and they want to build a platform because they're seeing that all these other people are doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, they're like, they're they're trying and they start and then then after like two months, they give up. But like, I wasn't seeing results until like (laughs) two years. Mm -hmm. Two years. So you, 
you you had probably a couple hundred followers for for a couple years and you just or, pushed through it. Yeah, well the thing is like I said I was inspired by by the Muay Thai guy, Sean Fagan. And in my head I'm like that's what I would like to do, but like I didn't actually believe in it. So for me I just treated the the channel as my way of journalizing my martial arts journey. And I didn't have expectations for it. And then eventually my sparring footage picked traction and i was like oh okay like people like to watch me spar and i'm, I'm gonna keep doing that and, and yeah and then obviously as i went on like i found different ways to make different content and different ideas that's beautiful wow yeah I, I will say um i do watch a lot of like tutorials um i fall into rabbit holes before even before i go train you know i'll put on a playlist of if i'm doing mm -hmm. jujitsu i'll just put on a bunch of positions and different escapes from there but yeah, I have a lot of your videos under my striking um, playlist. And the way you articulate the lessons is very um, easy to digest. So I do appreciate that. And we had this conversation on the podcast previously about how, you know, some people who are, like you said, sometimes good fighters don't translate into good coaches because, yeah, you might have the skill and the dexterity to pull out the moves, but you can't articulate it. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, some people are good at it in a sermon, but putting it in a video form to where you can get it uh, – auditorially and visually like mm -hmm. it, it's it's i feel like it teaches people a little more and now that we're in this state of um like the age of the internet you know there's more of a reach too so <laughs> almost like a For shortcut because sure. I, I feel like in another timeline you with an actual brick and mortar gym like you could say that you're you've reached more people without a brick and mortar gym than you would have mm -hmm. if you had one right for sure mm -hmm. interesting that's the special thing about um the, the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and to add to what you're saying, you're saying some, you're saying um, a coach, uh, sorry, a fighter may not be able to uh, teach as well as maybe a, a full-time coach. So I feel that about myself as well. I feel like I have a bit of that natural fighter ability. And then I have the other half of my coaching. And I was telling you early on the podcast, there's a lot of techniques that I did naturally in hard sparring. And then when I did, I wouldn't know how to teach it. I wouldn't know what I did until I watched myself spar and literally like slow motion, pause, 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 watch like, okay, I did this. And I, I stepped my foot like this and I'm like, okay. And then, and then I'm like, I have to watch it before I teach it to someone else. Whereas if you asked me to teach it on the spot, I wouldn't be able to. Mm, got it. You, you, you think about this in your bed before you sleep, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Is well, it ever? I mean, know, for, for me, with, with podcasts, sometimes I'll be in bed, but I'll be like, oh, fuck, I'm going to go edit this right now, you know? Like one of those kind of like I'm like obsessed with with the product type thing. Do you have that factor as well? <laughs> That's the beauty of, of having your own business is that you you rather do the work late at night instead of sleep because you're it's your it's your own baby like this business this channel is my baby and i i love doing it and that's what uh i think everyone should should aim to do with their uh careers or whatever they're doing for work profound advice beautiful beautiful do you mind uh, like, like i said we we don't want to undress you bro but do you mind if i go through a speed round of questions just quick questions sure. about you best, yeah all right do you know who jordan peterson is i do how do you feel Toronto. about him oh yeah Toronto. i 
I have a very terrible attention span, and I always watch <laughs> videos, and and I just it just ends up being in the background. I just yeah, from my understanding, super smart guy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But okay, the, the, I don't know how much of the information I've absorbed because, like I said, I'm not like I'm not a very smart person. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> Re- you seem like you seem very cere- cerebral, man. Yeah. Very, very I, I know cerebral. what I'm talking about when it comes to martial arts, but anything outside, I can be a little slow. What was your worst subject in school? Uh, math, science, English, yeah. English. And you know what's funny? I'll tell you a funny story right now. I know you said these are quick questions, but my, <laughs> you guys know what ESL is? Yeah. Yeah. Were you not born here? Like, huh? Were you not born in Canada? I was born in Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Hey, oh, you get that part two to the low kick, bro. Watch out. <laughs> so, I took ESL for English, and yes, I was born in Canada. So that just shows that, like, I'm not. I was never like this smart oh, no. Asian kid. Um, and then, and then so another I- funny story is my mom told me only recently, actually, but when I was in kindergarten or or whatever, like elementary school, my teacher went up to my mom and try to transfer me to a mentally challenged uh, program because he thought what? or she thought I was, I was yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Are you a fan of Drake? My mom believed in me. Mom's the best. Mom's are the best. Yes. Um, how do you feel about Drake? <sighs> do you have any feelings about Drake? He's a good rapper. That's that's the most. <laughs> who's on Who's on your playlist? Actually, people think Jerezy looks like Drake with his mask off. By the way, <laughs> that's okay. why. That's why I wear the mask. <laughs> it's, yeah, bro. Too many. Too much attention, bro. We got to keep the girls away. <laughs> How about a um, uh, walkout song? Yeah, walkout. Walkout song. Um, I would say EDM, or or, or like oh, old nice. school Eminem. I feel like mm. nowadays music is uh is not as good as they were back in the day. I think people are running out of ideas. They're all samples now. <laughs> what's well, yeah, what's a good really like, <laughs> what's a good classic like '90s R&B or hip hop song that you that just makes you feel good, nostalgic? I, I would that just, I would song. say I would say Lincoln Park in the end or Eminem. Oh my goodness, uh, Eminem. Uh, what's it called uh, uh, Lose Yourself? Nice, oh, man. nice, good choice. Yeah, just old favorite songs, favorite man. movie. Favorite movie? Let's do it. Blood Diamond. Oh, Blood Diamond. I haven't oh, finished. Blood Diamond or Troy or Troy or Gladiator. Troy's badass. Troy's yeah. badass. Yeah, movie. I've watched the movie like ten times. Why? Well, why is it? Like, what, what, I just what is love. Like the- I love historical movies, uh-huh. and um, like ancient, like that that era, and I, I like uh, obviously fighting. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm I'm a big Floyd Mayweather fan, and I heard Troy was one of the movies he used to always watch before his oh, fights. Interesting. Pretty interesting. badass. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. How about this? If you had a one million dollar fight and you could pick any opponent in the cage, who would you pick? Probably the easiest opponent. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn it! <laughs> okay, easy. I'm, I'm not the smartest Asian I'm too, bro. So I can really. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, easiest <laughs> easiest opponent on the UFC roster in your weight class. Wait, yeah, you fight at 155? 135? 55? Oh. Are you kidding me? Yo, 55s are huge. <laughs> Yo, 135 is a killer division, so that's actually yeah. a good, good question. Oh, that's hard. That, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> there are no bad fighters. 
<laughs> Patty Pimblett. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's, he's a 45er, though. Uh, 35er, uh, I don't know. They're, they're all scary people. Um, I think it would be very cool to, to, to fight Dominic Cruz because he, 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 he the trouble with him is, like, trying to hit him. So he moves a lot. And he's not known for, like, being the most powerful striker. So, like, I think I could, like, have fun in there trying to hit him, miss. And when I get hit, it's maybe not as hard as other fighters. Yeah, he's very top-heavy. A lot of good movement, yeah. but a little top-heavy. I could see that. Yeah. I feel bad for him because I feel like the the division – it's almost like he's not at that Frankie Edgar stage yet, but it's it's almost at the at that phase where, hey, maybe it's it's time. You know what I mean? But who am I? I mean, that's that's <laughs> the same for, for every fighter, you know. Like every fighter is going to hit that that age, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you have watched? I know the time is taken right now, but is there anything that you've watched or any movies that you've watched within the last couple of days that could inspire people like us that you know are trying to pursue, you know, masculine excellence and doing well in our careers and whatnot? Anything? I, I watch watching. a lot of movies. <laughs> the most recent video I wa- or movie I watched was Vikings Valhalla season two, and um, there's nothing really inspiring about it. It's just a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer. I'll take it. I'll watch that show. Good suggestion. It's really good. It's really good. I really liked it. Just season two, or not? Was season one kind of bad? Season I watched season one, but I can't remember what happened. But season two just came out on Netflix. Gotcha. I got a good question since we're all Connor fans. Is it over for him? Uh, apparently he's coming back. Apparently he's coming back. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, nobody knows. I think he, he'll like make a tweet here and there just to stay relevant, which, which, which works. And then people Effective, think he's coming right? back. And, and I don't know. Just if people's talking about him, he's making money. All right. How about this? Um, the best MMA fighter um, of all time, regardless of, of the weight classes. Or promotion. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't say GSP. I don't think so. I, I, okay. I, I think there's okay. – I, I personally don't think so, at least. I, he's great, of course, but I personally uh, – Pound for pound, dude. Okay. Uh, Honestly, I think Demetrius Johnson is one of them. Hmm. And John Jones. Yeah. Where are you, Demetrius? Yeah, and John Jones. Who's I yours, Con- Kyle? I, I say Connor, man. Like, I think people, pe- people don't give him, give him the- striking. I would say he's one of the best strikers, but obviously not in the grappling. Yeah, no, yeah. no grappling. But I just, I think his, his rise, you know, despite all the attention that he got and how, you know, braggadocious and bat like, brash he was he he proved himself in the ring even just like warming up in the ring doing those spinning like back kicks and stuff like when he fought um dustin poirier for the first time with the cornrows i was like this guy's movement is something that we've never seen before like capoeira break dancing type of fluidity now he's now he looks like he's on roids dude it's pretty sad yeah (laughs) well i mean he's got that steel leg now you know that's true. I think no respect for Triple C. I, I think uh, Triple. You, you know what yeah. sucks that I, I was talking about this. The UFC really didn't put any respect on Demetrius Johnson's name. 
at all. And I feel like yeah. they're not giving too much respect to Henry Cejudo's name. Those two are arguably top two MMA fighters of all time. I would I would say is in the discussion, right? I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I, I, yeah. There's just too many fighters. There's too many fighters. Like, I think Jose Aldo is a let. Uh, there's too many people. I can't. I can't name mm-hmm. specific fighter. Who would you not want to fight if you got paid? I don't know, ten million dollars, and you had to fight the the greatest fighter. Who who would it be? No, how about this? I, 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 okay, you I, you have a million. You have you have to choose between John Lineker or Rod Tang. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it MMA rules? MMA rules, yeah. Uh, Rod Tang. <laughs> really? So I see it. If there's the hands, rules, you'll just take him down. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. That's hilarious. Well, we don't want to keep you long, Jeff. I know dinner's cooking, and we know how much you love food. <laughs> so thanks for coming on, man. It's It's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, I'll just give this time to uh, time for you to plug in your socials, your websites, and where people can find you. Yeah, uh, thank you guys for, for having me. Uh, it was a really fun, fun podcast, and um, I'll hit you guys up if I'm ever in uh, Orange County again. Uh, nice, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Find me at MMA Shredded. Awesome, MMA bro. Shredded, and his website also has those uh, retreats, those striking retreats in Thailand. Yes. You go, you go elsewhere too, right? It's not just Thailand that you go to. So it's different each time. Um, I've been to Nicaragua. I've had one in Bali, and I think Thailand is the most popular destination because it's so cheap there, uh, and you can find you can fight there. You can find a fight there so easily. So, like, people just associate that place for a training camp. So that's why it's been the most popular. But who knows? I, I can host them literally anywhere. But right now, Thailand is is the best place to host it, in my opinion. Awesome, Excellent. Jeff Chan, everybody, MMA shredded. Go to the YouTube channel, learn how to fight. This is Jerezy. We got Kyle, and this is the Cave Podcast signing off. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day, sir. Appreciate Thanks, you, man. Have a good one, guys. You too. Thanks, Jeff.